Welcome to A Long Time in Finance, the podcast that takes a sharp and sometimes acerbic look at the often absurd world of money through the eyes of two journalists who've, well, spent quite a long time in finance. That's me, Jonathan Ford, and him, Neil Collins. Okay, welcome to uh, It's a Long Time in Finance. And uh, well, what are we talking about today, Neil? We're talking about... We're talking water today. Water. Uh, it's a huge, almost invisible industry. At least it should be invisible if it was pure. But of course, it's not nothing of the kind. Yeah, yeah so we find some pretty unpleasant stuff floating around in our rivers. And we're joined today to talk about this by a well-known fisherman and also a... Well, I remember in my childhood <laughs> listening to his music at the Undertones. It's Fergal Shackey. Well, thank you very much, sir. And might I just remind you, Jonathan, obviously, my game, there are no refunds. I've spent your money years ago. <laughs> very very enjoyable it was. Rather like the water companies. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Right. So, OK, so let's, let's just set the scene here. It's 30 years, roughly, since they privatised the water industry in England and Wales. And it was supposed to do all sorts of good things unlock lots of investment in making the rivers cleaner, beaches cleaner, fulfilling all the new regulations that were coming in. But after three decades, I think we're all agreed, you two guys are obviously uh, closer to the river riverbank than I am, that things are not going entirely well. This is certainly true. Yeah. And uh, the first signs of uh, the real cost of this to the companies is starting to become apparent. So we've had a whole bunch of fines this year for, and notably the biggest one for Southern Water, who were fined £90 million in the summer for deliberately pouring sewage into the sea for several years. And, and, and the judgment said, for its own financial gain. Um, <laughs> and this month, Thames Water, which of course is, uh, provides water for the capital, was fined £4 million for pouring half a million litres of sewage into the Seacourt and Hinksey streams for just two days in 2016, and that's on top of another four million fine earlier in the year. So you can see from the size of those fines that they are they are quite an irritant to Southern Water, but yeah. really just a small cost of doing business to Thames. Yeah, and, and indeed, and uh, Panorama had a look at this earlier in the year, and they showed uh, in their, with their research, what's the name of the chap? Uh, Peter Hammond. Peter Hammond, he did some fantastic work looking at the rules around when they could discharge sewage. They are allowed under their licences to discharge sewage from time to time. And he found that they'd almost never discharge sewage legally into the rivers. And <laughs> huge quantities were going in which were entirely illegal. And, and this was supposed to be policed by the Environment Agency, but what Panorama also showed was that in 2020 only four prosecutions were initiated by the Environment Agency. So I think we can agree it's a bit of a failure that we have here, a systemic failure. <laughs> and what do you make of it? You're, you see the view from the riverbank, Fergal. Where, 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 what do you think I of it I think all? for a bit of context for your listeners, you are absolutely right. We were promised all kinds of things with privatisation. 30 years later, here's where we are. There is not a single river in England in good overall environmental health. Every single river is polluted. One of the biggest sources of that pollution is the water industry and sewage and sewage treatment. Mm -hmm. And by way of some numbers, 
Last year, 2020, water companies spent over 3.1 million hours on over 400,000 separate occasions dumping sewage into rivers in England. Mm. Now, they are allowed to do it, and I'm quoting here from a uh, court judgment, in exceptional situations. Yep. And obviously that raises a very simple question. Can somebody explain and illustrate what is exceptional about 3.1 million hours on over 400,000 separate occasions? And as the Southern Water case highlighted, they had for five years, according to the court, illegally been dumping sewage all around the south coast of England. I think they finally admitted to something like almost 7,000 different instances yeah. of illegally dumping sewage. Yeah. So the truth is, the system is dysfunctional. It doesn't work. And as you've perfectly illustrated, we had four prosecutions. Actually, the regulation has become just as dysfunctional as the operations of the companies themselves. Okay. And, and I just want to deal with one thing, which I know is the, always the defence which the industry offers whenever anyone criticises them on the, <laughs> the grounds that you just have so magnificently, which is they say, but we put in lots and lots of investment. And look at the strain we put on our balance sheets with the huge amount of debt we now carry around after us, which means we are broke and we can't, well, they don't say we're broke. We were very hard <laughs> up and we can't possibly be asked to put in more money. And the truth is, if you go back to 1989 and you look at the revenues of the water companies since 1989, what you find is they could have funded every single bit of capital investment they've Correct. put in since 1989 without taking on a penny of debt. And the £50 billion of debt which they've taken on has almost entirely been carried off in the form of large dividends for their shareholders, particularly by those companies which were taken over by private equity. Yeah, I think that um, there's very little doubt that they are guilty of, let us call it, financial manipulation here. And they've got themselves into a pretty poor condition operationally and financially. Um, and I think the question now, the more interesting question, is how do we get out of this mess uh, and get clean water and uh, clean rivers? Uh, and that is the way we've got to look at it forward. I don't think there's any question about who's to blame, but what's the solution? Yes, so solutions. Um, but before we come to solutions, let's just think about the other side of the coin, because it's, it's not simply a question of the water companies doing a bad job, yep. not having invested enough, because I think what we're really talking about here is inadequate investment and their kind of systems it's not I th okay so i'm going to be i'm going to step into the breach and not mount a defense but mount a plea in mitigation <laughs> of some form <laughs> i'm going to, I'm going to say that. that they aren't they aren't pouring uh shit into the rivers purely out of some kind of <laughs> some sort of interesting dare to see what they can get away with they're doing so because basically their systems have become somewhat overwhelmed and despite all the talk of this great investment, they just haven't got the facilities at hand to deal with what they need to deal with. And and so the other side of the coin, though, I think one needs to also think about is the enforcement mechanisms that we have, because yep. we have two lines of defence, really. We have off what, the regulator, yep. which in theory tells them what they should be investing in. And we have the Environment Agency, who are the kind of... Uh, 
whatever they are, the, the uh, bad <laughs> cop, in theory, <laughs> who yeah. basically say, you know, you didn't do it, you filled the river with shit, you must now pay a huge fine. And it seems to me neither of those systems are really working. Properly. No, I think you're right that neither of them is. I mean, I would just say in defence of Ofwat that they ha- were referred to the Competition and Markets Authority by the water companies last time on their price determination, yeah. and they were defeated. So they are they have no authority anymore. Um, and this is this is a real disincentive for them to try and act in a in a, in a, any sort of militant manner. I would put the flame, the blame much more at the door of the Environment Agency, which has got wonderful uh, legal powers which it chooses not to use. Uh, and it seems to me that uh, they are classic example of Goya. Goya? Get off your ass. <laughs> they don't do oh, it. Okay. They so sit in their offices. A want of ambition by let the environment d- d- agency. D- 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 That's the expression. Let me try another yes. slight flavour in this because I, I, personally Maybe. speaking, I, I, I completely agree with you, Neil, about uh, the EA, who I'll come back to in a second. However, I think we all too readily allow off what off the hook. Offward has been, in my own personal interpretation, been playing this game of Mexican standoff with the industry for 30 years. In that, they demanded that the industry sweated the assets to the bone in an effort to minimise the investment to ensure there was minimal impact on the price of water to the consumer. Offward, I think, were also engaged in this slightly schoolboy game of trying to use that as leverage and as pressure to force the shareholders to actually start putting the investment in but the water companies learned, as Jonathan's pointed out, very early on, their shareholders didn't have to expose themselves for a penny. All of the investment was going to be picked up by the consumer in the price of water bills. So we've had this incredible situation. One very simple example, until the last couple of years, of what ran a policy by the extraordinary acronym CELL, Sustainable Economic Levels of Leakage. The impact of which was, <laughs> so long as it was cheaper to over-abstract chalk streams and degrade the environment of chalk streams. So long as that was cheaper than actually fixing the leaky pipes, then they were going to carry on degrading the environment in some of the rarest habitats on the planet. Okay, quick note for the non-fishermen among you. Chalk streams. Quick, uh, two lines on chalk streams. There is chalk 250 in the world? about on the entire planet. 85% of them are here. They are incredibly unique. In fact, so unique, you will not find them anywhere else in the world Good outside of certain England and a tiny little bit of northern France. And good for fish. Phenomenal ecosystems, brilliant for fish. Also very clean water, so they're very attractive to Uh, suck water out of. I once referred to uh, water companies having uh, an addiction akin to a crackhead having a party for one on a Friday night. Chalk streams provide the purest, sweetest form of water imaginable. You're making them sound almost interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's incredibly high quality water. Yeah. It's also right on top of the biggest conurbation in the country, London, surrounded by chalk streams. Yeah. Two things, I don't have to spend very much money treating it. Yeah. And B, water's big and expensive to move around. Yeah. And I've got this massive supply of fantastic high quality water right on top of London and the biggest conurbation in the southeast. For okay. water companies, two incredibly seductive ideas. Okay, so ba- ba- basically where we are is, uh, I think Neil is Neil is making the case that the Environment Agency have really lost the plot. Oh, they are utterly hopeless. you're saying, they are you're, you're, hopeless. you're agreeing, but you're saying off what? Oh, off what? Has given this has, game too. Has, has essentially been given, maybe has been given the wrong set of rules 
I have been told, for example, uh, to, I mean, I know that they do have a, a odd rules in the sense that they actually have a, a regulatory requirement to try and avoid companies going bust. Correct. So the, so the madder the capital structure, of course, the more they have to <laughs> help them. But anyway, yeah. that's, uh, that's, uh, so, so we, that's that side of it. But let's think about solutions because uh, we want to move on from merely bashing these poor people <laughs> over the head. But so, Fergal, what's your thought? What would you do? Uh, well, clearly somebody somewhere is now going to have to start coming up and spending an awful lot of money. Simply to fix the sewage system as we have it. If the, and I, I use their term, I think it was called the Storm Overflow Task Force that was set up by government as a knee-jerk reaction about six months ago. They're currently estimating at the bottom end of the scale, it could be something to make inroads into it at all, about £16 billion. Pounds. So even if we is, take... Is that a lot of money? How, what's the uh, revenue of the industry, annual revenue? Well, I knew you were going to ask me this. And I, <laughs> I, I think the annual, annual revenue is somewhere between 20 and 25 billion yeah. in England and Wales. So they're quite big numbers, but actually oh, 60, 60 billion. Well, remember, we already start with a 50 billion debt, which, yeah. mm -hmm. which is sitting, uh, sitting on their balance sheets. So my, my thought is that the companies are probably not going to just dig down the back of the sofa and find 16 billion, if that number's correct. Yeah. That the taxpayer is going to have to get involved in this in some way, shape or form, either directly as a consumer and or the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And I think at that point, there is an opportunity to then rewrite the rules and the whole long-term relationship between the consumer, the taxpayer and the industry. Mm. Because for the last 30 years, water companies have paid out almost 60 billion pounds in dividends to their shareholders mm. and we have ended up with rivers full of sewage. We have to redress that relationship. Okay, so so that's, that's fair enough. They have to put in more money, but I think the point you would make, Neil, is how do you get them to put in more money? Because yeah, this, money, this money is, is got to come from somewhere. And... Um, and the, the companies will simply say, well, we just applied the rules as we were given them. We're prepared to take the fines if we have to incur them, but we can carry on as we are. So what would change? What, how would you get them to... You, you think they need to change their behaviour a bit. And how would you bring that about? They have to change their behaviour, and there's only one thing they understand, which is a hit to the balance sheet. And... The, the the first step, I think, is for the Environment Agency to step up to the plate and actually do what it is supposed by law to do and uh, encourage the courts to impose meaningful fines. 90 million on Southern Water is close to being a meaningful fine, but I think that uh, if they were fined significant sums, they would... Uh, act better in future and they might find that it's actually worth their while to do so because the cost of continually paying ever larger fines would be less than the cost of actually trying to solve the problem. You will of course in the process of doing that Neil have to utterly strip, dismantle and reform the environment agency itself from the very highest level down. I think most people would vote for that. Well I'm just letting you know it's going to have to happen. But um, yeah, but I mean, it is hugely dysfunctional, as yep. has been demonstrated by its lack of, in, of doing anything useful over the last decade or um, so. Well, it, its budget for enforcement, when it comes to monitoring the environment, enforcement and policing and monitoring and measuring and all that good stuff, its budget has been culled by about 70% over the last 10 years. 
So again, you're back into political situation and government and the Treasury and a discussion there about political leadership. But I am again ill-disposed to allow the board of the EA off the hook on that one. Because clearly they play a role in the relationship in the negotiation with government. So for me, you may want to think about taking a step back to political leadership and where there's a political will and foresight and ambition and determination to go, we're going to get out of election cycles, we're going to get out of five-year funding cycles for the water industry, and we're actually going to take a long-term view of this, and we're going to go and fix it. I'm afraid I think that's fantasy. Um, it's a lovely idea, but I just <laughs> don't ever see it happening. But the reason why I, give, I think can my... Can I give my fantasy idea? For yeah, okay, sure. No, no, you carry on. You, you, you knock this one down, then I'll come up with the next one. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why my idea uh, has possible legs is, of course, that the Treasury like the idea of significant fines because that helps their finances. And if you can see fines in the order of tens or hundreds of millions of pounds then it might encourage them to loosen the purse strings on a reformed environment agency. I, 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 the only, the only thing, I mean, yes, it would give money to the government, but in my view, the fines fall on the regulated companies, and if you yeah. take hundreds of millions of pounds out of them, it's not going to be put in by the shareholders necessarily. It's just going to be picked up by the customers in the long run. Well, and, I think it'll be... And so, and so I'm, I, I'm not convinced, I'm not ultimately convinced that simply... I think fining has a place to, place to play, and you need, a, you need a kind of proper enforcement and a straightforward kind of approach to it. And whether that can be contrived because the Treasury wants more money from fines, that's possible. Um, my structural idea is essentially... One of the problems with the whole industry after privatisation is that... A lot of it was taken into private hands, um, i.e. not into off the stock market by private equity firms and the like. And and I think this has removed companies from a lot of scrutiny. It's almost impossible for the, the customers mm -hmm. and other so-called stakeholders to work out really what's going on. And I once tried to look at Thames Water, I have to say, it completely defeated me, even though I was being paid to, to look at it. So I, believe, I can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine that the customer would know. I believe there were seven layers between the operating yeah, no. company and the ultimate shareholder yeah, no, at one absurd. stage. Totally absurd. So my 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 solution is well, okay. So this won't absolutely fix everything. In fact, it probably won't fix that much. But it would be a good start. Is to say to all the private equity-owned companies, i.e., the ones that are not on the stock market, which tend to be the most highly geared ones, you should, it, it is a condition of operating a public in interest company like a water company that it is listed on the stock market with a substantial amount of its shares in the hands of institutional owners, private owners, customers, whatever. And you need to do that. And you need to put these companies back on the stock market. And that will force them to address the question of the inadequate capital in these businesses and also make it easier for people to monitor what is going on in them after they are relisted. And basically, I think that would be quite a good idea. But I think it's actually an extremely good idea if you could uh, structure things in a way which forced them to do it. Uh, I fear that the first thing they would do is scuttle off for a judicial review and say this is confiscation of part of our, uh, our property.
Well, it could only be done in Parliament. Yeah, it yeah, needs legislation. It needs legislation. At mm. which point, judicial review doesn't matter. Yeah, because you just Parliament, Parliment said, please, let's do See, this. See, the thing I, is... I'm afraid when I hear the word legislation, I reach for my revolver. No, no that's the okay. The chances of it happening are zero. Did, did, well, here's the thing. There's nothing to act as a slight Solomon judgment at this point in time. Do the companies themselves need to come under more pressure and be held more accountable? Absolutely, without question. And I completely agree with you. That £90 million fine is the first time I think I've ever seen a water company even pause for breath to have a think about what they were doing. There was a little gasp. There was a small gasp. <laughs> so there is, there's room for there for discussion. <laughs> the, for my thing, the underlying where the two ideas can join up, Neil, is yes, the companies need to be held more to account. I'm not persuaded that the Treasury will be at all motivated by more money from fining the water companies because of the scale of sums that they have to deal with. Yeah. It's a few crumbs off the table. But I think there's also room in Jonathan's idea that we do need to restructure these companies. They're going to have to come up with money to invest in the sewage system, mm. to invest in water supply. That can cannot be kicked any further down the road. We know in another 20 years' time we're going to be short 4 billion litres of water a day. That's about 40% of the total supply. Yeah. So they're going to need the money. That's going to need financing from somewhere. They're carrying too much debt. And I think there's an opportunity there, even if it is through Parliament legislation, to readdress the, the operation and structure of the companies to make it more transparent, more accountable. And by that, you also achieve that you can hold the directors and senior management and boards to greater transparency and account. OK, thank, and, and I've got one last thought on this. Um, I agree with actually much of what you just said. Um, I think Neil's right that um, governments don't want to get... Governments don't like getting involved in this sort of thing yeah. because it's the horrible possibility that people's bills will go up taxes are rising and so on and so forth but they are in between in my view between a bit of a rock and a hard place because if Fergal is right and this huge wadge of capital expenditures coming round the corner and angry fishermen will be marching up and down <laughs> Downing Street waving their rods <laughs> or spear guns <laughs> and passing, passing ministers <laughs> Then basically, then basically they have a bit of a problem because, as you say, they can't get people to put the money in. They can't force the existing shareholders yeah. to put the money in. But do they really want a situation where essentially the companies just start falling over, a bit like the railway industry has done? Because basically no one can, no one can agree how to basically put the system back together again. And I think that would be... In some ways, to allow that simply to happen would be an even bigger indictment and failure. And the government would have to say, oh dear, we've messed it up. We've got to now take it on our balance sheet and add this to the many things that people we're going to ask people to pay for. Yeah, so I think if they well. can find I, a solution, I think they yeah. would be well advised to look for one. Well, obviously, if they can find a solution, they would. Well, I've well given them a solution. I've given them a solution. But, uh, I, I suspect the crisis is over the political horizon. That's the real problem. And the threat of standpipes in the street because we haven't got enough drinking water, uh, I would say if it's ever going to happen, it'll be the next decade, not this one. Uh, and I think that the best uh, way of putting pressure on the government is to say whatever happened to our green, pleasant land, which the water companies have wrecked. And I think that has quite a lot of um, popular support in our so-called greening country. A, a, a small possible 
reality check here, Neil. And I, I say that with <laughs> enormous diplomacy. We, until recently, had this wonderful thing called the European Water Framework Directive. The idea was very, very straightforward. By 2015, every river, lake and pond in England would reach good overall environmental health. And where are we in England? Zero, not one, nada, really? nothing. Really? a bit more than one. Not a single river in this country now meets okay. good overall environmental health. But that doesn't matter, because the truth is government quietly sidestepped the whole Water Framework Directive, where if you look at the 25-year plan for the environment, we've gone from what the European Directive delivered was every single water body in good overall health by 2027 at the very latest. And if you look at government's 25-year plan, you'll find that that quietly has shifted to 75% of water bodies in a natural condition, whatever that is. There's no definition for it. Yeah. And that doesn't matter because the deadline is now as soon as is practical. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I started out this podcast thinking we'd be able to give good news for the fish of England, but I'm not sure we can. <laughs> I think I think the best we've come oh, up with is some structural changes and larger fines, but whether that will be enough to change minds, I don't oh, know. The, 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 but you'll keep battling. The, the good news is, Jonathan, is that I am now constantly stopped on the street by people who, even six months ago, would talk to me about old undertones records. That's changed. Yesterday morning, I'm walking through a market in North London. Somebody to. stops me and goes, Fergal, what you're doing about the rivers? I think it's absolutely fantastic. And that's the bit where you can begin to apply pressure and why this Environment Act exists. It, my personal opinion, it's a bit of a nonsense. Yeah. But it was a knee-jerk political reaction because of the public pressure government were coming under to do something about it. And for me, Neil, that's the bit we've got to knuckle down over the next six to 12 months is not lose that momentum and now to turn the volume from number 10 up to number 15 to use the spinal tap analogy. Well, I think it's fantastic that you've got your teeth into this great issue and um, and I wish you all the success. And the only sad thing is we didn't have a chance to talk about the meaning of the lyrics in Teenage Kicks. But, uh, <laughs> Burgle, thank you oh, so much. for another day. <laughs> it's beyond the scope of this volume. <laughs>